to the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. Listen in as co-hosts Ted Stank and Tom Goldsby take a leap onto the ships of supply chain, crowd surf into the long lines of meeting holiday demand, and wade into the depths of warehouse inventory buildup. They'll cover all the relevant and current topics blocking the canal of your minds and discuss industry issues that keep you up at night. If you enjoyed the show, download and subscribe to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management, wherever you listen to podcasts. Without further ado, let's begin our show, where you'll hear what you'd least expect from the people you want to hear it from the most. Our co-hosts, Ted and Tom. All right, everybody, welcome to our second podcast. Tom and I, we're getting worn out doing these, huh? We've already done two. It's just getting warmed up. What are we going to do when we get to 10? A lot of ground's been covered in the last period since we did our first podcast. Um, We had our fall supply chain forum. It was online again, thanks to our friendly neighborhood COVID. We actually had record attendance, though. Over 600 folks attended the various sessions. Breakout attendance was also record-breaking. So uh, really good exposure during lots of interesting topic areas in the supply chain forum. In terms of real-world stuff, we just finished Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And some news reports are saying that the numbers are down compared to past years. I'm not sure that I like that metric. Tom, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I'm saying the same thing, that the single day metrics were down on both Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But I think what you're alluding to is the fact that I think so many shoppers were panicked into shopping earlier than normal, maybe six to eight weeks ago. I think a lot of those same shoppers that might have been crashing the doors or hitting uh, Cyber Monday online had already uh, exhausted themselves a little bit over the last six to eight weeks. Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those duh moments to me. So the media has been saying for two months, you know, buy early because we're not going to have any products by Christmas and the stores are going to be empty and we're going to be chasing crumbs to eat. So people believe that and they bought early. And then big surprise, our one day Black Friday sales were not what they were in the past. By the way, most retailers have more discounts going on previous to Black Friday than they usually do. So again, duh, big surprise. One day sales weren't what they were. But I would like to see the entire season sales and see how that measures up. Yeah, I agree. Also, it'd be kind of interesting when the profit reports come out for the quarter. I, th- I think that uh, you know retailers are by and large doing pretty well. And something they've been eager to do for a long time is hold price or even raise price. And you know, when you've got inflation as a backstory, it provides them with a bit of an excuse to go, okay, now's the time. Uh, let's raise prices to where we wanted to have them, maybe pre-pandemic. But not to worry, the federal government's looking into it. They'll fix it all. They'll fix it. <laughs> the last time we talked about a lot of problems, and all of us know by now in the supply chain world, all the problems we've got. What I've started seeing more talk about in the last several weeks is, is talk about fixes. There are things, you know, we don't stand still. One of the things I love about supply chain management is we react really well. Would we like to get ahead of them? Yes. But we also react really well. And I think some things are starting to show indications of improvements. Uh, Dare I say a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel about maybe some of the supply chain bottlenecks clearing up or at least starting to. LA Long Beach numbers are not setting records every day. And we're starting to see some, some signs that we might have hope. What are your thoughts on some of those, Tom? I think in large part, it's just a function of so much attention being directed toward the many problem areas that we have, the vulnerabilities. And as I've been explaining to many people, our supply chains have a degree of flex in them, but the demands that have been placed on them 
not just in the last few weeks or months, but over the entire course of the pandemic have just been uh, more than it can simply handle. And, and I do think that it's starting to subside, but it's maybe because, you know, maybe we're starting to get a little bit on the far side of peak season. You know, it's just going to take time for it to work out. I agree. I mean, again, companies are investing. Uh, we're seeing things like, and, and our guest later on today, we'll talk more about this, is where I got some of this information from. Um, we're seeing things like people in second careers joining the workforce as truck drivers, particularly as independent drivers, so not going to big firms. Uh, we're seeing some improvements there. Some of the Bureau of Labor Statistics show that we have had more hires in the trucking industry than we've had quits. So that's a, that's a good sign. A lot of the investments that companies have been making in equipment and assets, in information technology to better marry loads to assets are starting to bear some fruit. So there are some positive signs, but you know, it's early spring. There's just some little shoots coming up, but at least something for us to chew on. Tom, you work a lot with some companies that are involved with information technology and transportation. Yeah, we were fortunate to have a couple of them with us in the supply chain forum that you mentioned at the, the top of the program. And uh, some really fascinating data that came from our friends at truckstop.com and FTR Intelligence, where they suggested that there weren't as many people drivers leaving the industry as we might have once believed. And I think many of us pay attention to the American Trucking Association's data. They reported about a month back that 80,000 drivers was how many drivers we were short. But looking at the data that Brent and Avery brought forward, they suggest a lot of drivers are actually moving away from some of the larger carriers who are the ATA membership and starting their own independent operations. And so it might be just a bit of a misnomer in some of the data that we're seeing with a lot of new startups taking place, uh, record setting, in fact. And so maybe some of that capacity is just shifting a little bit from the conventional big dog trucking companies into smaller one and two truck outfits. Wow, that's really interesting. Cautionary note to our listeners who work for big companies, big shipping companies in particular, you might have to alter uh, your thoughts on how you contract and find assets to move your freight. We're typically used to going to a few big contract providers, going through freight brokers and forwarders, et cetera. That may end up becoming a bigger avenue as we start looking more to smaller players in the field as opposed to the big carriers. Hey, something else I just wanted to touch on, it's, it's also in the subject matter of disequilibria that are out there. And you're referring to a disequilibria in terms of, you know, the driver workforce, but there's also a disequilibria in terms of where our shipping containers are finding themselves. You know, there's such a force to try to get those containers off the ramps at our ports, get them into the inland distribution networks. But uh, I think a lot of folks missed the point that we also got to get those containers back into circulation once emptied. And uh, I know we're expecting that to drag out well into 2022 for those containers to get repositioned back to those export port locations. Yeah, and so much more pressure on this, given that we have no excess capacity in ocean shipping. It was pretty typical in years past that when you had excess capacity, you did a sweep of different ports, particularly U.S. West Coast, to pick up those empty containers and get them back to their source, if you will, where they were going to get repacked and sent with revenue-bearing freight again in the other direction. Um, we don't have any capacity to do that now. And so those empty containers are clogging up lots of different drop lots and terminals all up and down the West Coast in particular. 
Yeah, it turns out those shipping lines would rather be shipping full freight at full prices rather than uh, returning those empty containers back. It's certainly where the priority is for that capacity right now. But you mentioned IT solutions, and there is a lot of help to be found there. And I know that our research and supply chain agility going back to 2019 really alluded to opportunities for technology to help. And I think it's critical uh, also recognizing just how fatigued people are. You know, frankly, we're just getting overworked trying to move those boxes around and deliver on customer commitments. And increasingly, folks are having to look to IT information technologies, uh, certainly, but also equipment technologies like autonomous mobile robots are stepping up in a big way to help move product. Yeah, you know, something related to this that continues to amaze me is that still today, we still on average run most of our trucking assets, um, at least partially empty. I think the average is 20, 30%. If we could do a better job now that we have electronic onboard devices of marrying our ability to see where our assets are with loads that need to get picked up and we could improve on that effective load rate, think of the impact that could have on the amount of trucks that we would need and therefore drivers. Yeah, I've always told my students that if those trucks out there and containers had clear plastic sides and students could see just how much air was being shipped as opposed to physical product, I think we'd all be pretty uh, shocked and alarmed at that. And, you know, just the waste that goes into it. Uh, but that has been decreasing. And I think, again, the ability to marry data from the actual assets themselves with loads is improving that. Hopefully, we continue to see improvement. You got to always talk about the dark side of things too, right? One of the other things EODs have done is made it very transparent about how long the driver has driven in the old days of double logs. And so we could get a lot more productivity out of a truck driver. Those might be over. I had lunch recently with a retired president of a trucking company. He said something to me that has really impacted my thought process. One of the few big labor areas in the U.S., operationally at least, that is exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act is over-the-road trucking. And so those folks still get paid by the mile. And you think about how many times they are disrupted from driving miles, whether it's traffic congestion, construction, delays at pickup or drop-off operations, shippers out there, we need to get better at that, right? Those folks aren't getting paid for that time. And so we might say, yeah, a trucker can make seventy or $80,000 a year, but how much do they work to make that seventy or $80,000 a year? And this particular person had suggested that one of the biggest things we could do policy-wise would be to start paying those folks by the hour or by the load. What impact would that have on their productivity and therefore make it more of an attractive career for people to get yeah. into? I don't know. Just something I threw out. A data point that I've been throwing around for a long time and I need to get an updated figure was the average number of hours wasted each week by a long haul truck driver waiting to get loaded or unloaded of freight. And I was asking my students, what do you think it is? Five hours, 10 hours? And we play a little bit of kind of match game here in terms of trying to figure out where uh, that number is. At that time, the, the Truckload Carriers Association, I think this was late 90s, so it's more than 20 years ago, they said 33 and a half hours were wasted each week. And to your point, Ted, it's real hard to attract labor into a workforce when uh, you know they're looking at a situation like that. Yeah. We need Lloyd Reinhardt. For those of us who know and love Lloyd Reinhardt, a retired professor here at University of Tennessee, he used to make his students go out to truck stops and interview truck drivers. And I'm sure we could get some really good anecdotal data about that. Where is Lloyd when you need him? 
He's out there. He's out there. And I think we ought to pick up the mantle and send our, our students out to those truck stops. What do you say? Yeah, you know, I mean, those folks have the answers. They see it every day. So there are some interesting things happening that I think give us a little bit of hope. In our next podcast, I'd like to talk a little bit about reshoring. There is reshoring happening, not a lot of jobs, a lot of struggles with finding skilled labor, finding the right technology. I happen to be an optimist, and I think that over time, when it becomes financially viable and profitable for us to do so, we will invest in the right areas, but it might take some time. But we'll talk about that during our next podcast. Right now, Tom, I want to throw another curveball at you, okay? We're talking about all the good things happening. Woke up uh, one day early this week and heard a news report about something called Omicron variant. It sounds like sci-fi, but we are now living in the world where Delta variant is becoming passe in COVID conversation and Omicron is becoming the big fear factor. Different regions of the world, different governmental organizations are responding differently. Lots of shutdowns happening in Europe. Um, Most countries have put a travel ban in place for some of the areas of the world that are seeing Omicron happen first, mainly uh, South Africa, countries around South Africa. What is your take on how this is going to impact us? Is it business as usual? Is it something different? Is it something we're going to be able to just handle and skip over? What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, yeah, that's the trillion dollar question maybe and and I'm I'm waiting the jury's still out on this right I'm 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 kind of eager for the scientists to tell us exactly what we're dealing with you know how well our vaccines are going to stand up to it and just how aggressive this strain is going to be so the jury's out on that but I have come to the conclusion that as the pandemic goes so go our supply chains I think you can say that about a lot of things that, that move right along with the pandemic and if we can't get a handle on this thing it's going to change uh, consumption patterns as the pandemic has. It's also going to alter our supply chain capacities, you know, and that's why we find ourselves in the fit in which we find ourselves is that, uh, you know, both demand and supply have been altered. And so uh, I'm hopeful (laughs) that it's muted. I'm hopeful that our vaccines can stand up to it. And I think also I'm very hopeful in that if we do find that we need to re-up the vaccines, I think our pharma companies have proven that they can change the code and produce the vaccine as needed. And we've now got some experience about how to mass distribute these vaccines. So hopefully we've learned a lot over the last two years about how to deal with this. But uh, there's no doubt that if it poses the threat that many fear, it's going to be uh, a difficult winter into spring and beyond. I agree with you, Tom. So while we're on this topic, and you and I have been going on for a while here, I think it's time for us to bring in a great friend and colleague, Dr. Marianne Wanamaker. Marianne is the Executive Director of the Baker Center for Public Policy, also a Professor of Economics in our Haslam College of Business. Um, We've both known Marianne for a long time, greatly respect her insights. Marianne spent an enlightening year up in Washington, D.C. on the President's Economic Council and has become a partner in crime on a lot of supply chain conversations that we've had. Marianne, welcome. Let's bring you in on this initial topic of what is your take on what Omicron is going to do from an overall economic standpoint and then uh, drill down a little bit into supply chain. Hi, Ted. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Well, let me say something about Omicron, which is that, you know, you guys gave a pretty, at least I think is a pretty rosy scenario, which is that the vaccines will work and we'll continue to kind of muddle through. It won't be pretty, but we'll manage. 
And that's the American view. I think the view, if you are in a country without access to great vaccines and great therapeutics, is pretty different. And a country like China is looking at a different scenario entirely on Omicron. So I would caution about, you know, what this winter might look like. I think we actually may see some disruptions that are pretty severe, specifically coming out of China. They've closed ports for for issues much less severe than Omicron, right? And so that's what I expect us to have is some challenges related to that. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're a bit rosy on this side of the water, but, uh, you know, where do our supply chains start anyway? You know, so many of them are in China. And as you point out, you know, when there's that singular case that manifests in a manufacturing facility at a shipping dock, you know, they shut things down. And so, uh, you know, it's entirely possible that we could see some more dramatic effects there that make their way across the ocean. The three of us live in Knoxville, okay? And I've been saying Knoxville is the epicenter of normalcy, meaning we resist any sort of change to our daily behavior as a result of COVID. We've resisted it from the beginning very effectively. And and a lot of people that we interact with haven't changed their lives at all. So Knoxville is the epicenter, but the United States is also a little bit of an epicenter in this sense. I mean, you were just listing how European countries have already reacted to Omicron. We have closed our borders, a policy I don't agree with, but a policy that we've chosen. We closed our borders to a select set of countries out of Africa. Israel closed their border to the entire world. So there's a lot of reaction going on in Europe that will have implications for us. And it has implications both on the import of goods, but it also has implications for our ability to import labor. And so can't have a conversation about what's happening with Omicron without thinking about, all right, what is this going to do to immigration policy? I mean, we haven't seen a change in the labor force participation patterns in the United States in 16 months. Our labor force is effectively frozen And so the only way out of our labor jam right now is immigration. It was recovering very nicely up through this week. And now I don't know what to say. I'm not 100 percent convinced that the Biden administration won't step in and say, we're going to cut back on some of this immigration in light of these Omicron patterns. I hope we don't go there, but I think there's a significant chance that we do. Wow. So um, we were talking about the issues of labor shortage that are pervasive throughout the supply chain. And uh, you you referenced the labor participation, which has been a difficult, a a very stingy number. Marianne and I also had an opportunity to be in DC a couple of weeks ago and talking with the Tennessee congressional delegation uh, about these things. A lot of interest on the Hill about how do we get more people back to work And you're right, this Omicron seems to have stopped it in its tracks, right? I mean, that's a 62% figure, I think, uh, off the top of my head is about what we've been looking at with labor participation, which saw such a dramatic drop so, so abruptly going into pandemic. And it just seems like it hasn't climbed back where we need it to be for so many of these jobs, including those in logistics and supply chain. Yeah, although I'll say logistics, uh, you know, transportation and warehousing of all the different industry categories that the Bureau of Labor Statistics tracks, transportation and warehousing is doing really well. You're back to pre-COVID employment levels in that industry, and so many industries can't say that. I actually did a deep dive on truckers in particular because of this 80,000 number that keeps getting retold. In fact, I'm in Nashville today meeting with the governor's staff, and that number came up. There were 80,000 truck drivers short. Well, the actual number 
relative to the pre-COVID months is 9,000 truckers. So you can think about it as COVID subtracted 9,000 truckers. I'm willing to give you that. So if we have a trucker shortage, it's not about COVID, okay? It's about a structural problem that was long in the making. You guys talked about some of the challenges for recruiting that workforce. One of the challenges I see is that we've been telling our high school students for years and years and years that truckers were going to get automated away. And we've been saying, don't be a trucker because there's going to be automated vehicles. It's not going to happen anytime soon. And so I told the governor's staff today, I said, what you ought to do is make an announcement. It's like your forward guidance that says, you know, we're not going to authorize self-driving trucks in the state of Tennessee for 10 years. So go get your license today. And I think that messaging is an important part of this problem. Yeah, you're right. When I was young, it used to be like, get out on the great American road. Listen to your, um, what were the radios called? CB back radio. CB yeah. radio. Get on your CB radio. Good buddy. <laughs> Yeah, really interesting. I mean, there's so many social issues tied into this, economic issues, policy issues. If nothing else, I think the last two years has made people realize that supply chain management can look like kind of an alone, aloof managerial area or analytical area. And it's not. It's tied into so many different social and behavioral issues. Yeah, it's encouraging, again, to have the data that, that Marianne brings forward, right? That maybe things aren't so bad, but we clearly have some messaging challenges that we need to overcome. I mean, that's been a longstanding problem that we've had in the industry. And, you know, not so much at, at UT where supply chain management is the, the largest major on campus, but uh, again, on the front lines, it's, it's a difficult sell. And it's also attributed, I think, to just so much demand out there. We see it in, in warehouse figures just off the charts, the number of new warehouse builds. And of course, we need people for the most part still to run those warehouses. I think the other thing that, you know, you guys were talking about earlier that I think the pandemic has really highlighted is the skills and intensity of skills needed in human resources management. Just like COVID has really shined the spotlight on supply chains, I think it's also shined a spotlight on how do you pay your people, right? How do you treat them? How do you recruit them? How do you retain them? How do you pay them? And so that actually, I think is going to be the challenge for the next several months. I don't think we're going to get out of our labor supply jam anytime soon. And I mean years. And so that, of course, brings up questions of automation, but it also brings up questions of managing human resources. So Ted, you said earlier, truck drivers are, you know, are not covered by this particular federal policy. True. But any individual truck driving company could change their compensation policy tomorrow. There's nobody who's forcing them to pay by the mile. Right. And so one of you, I believe, told me about a Knoxville firm that was paying $20,000 signing bonuses to get people to come on board. And that's the sort of kind of innovation. I mean, I know that's just cash, but still, it's sort of like thinking of, okay, I can't do it the way I've always done it and expect to get a different outcome, especially now. So what are the ways we can change our policies that make it easier for people to come join us? And Tom, you were talking, we were in DC about these like short haul networks, right? You join this firm, join this company, we'll give you a short haul network where you can come home every night or every other night and some other driver picks up your load and takes it to the next state. And those sorts of innovations are going to have to happen in trucking, I think, in order to solve this longer term labor problem. 
And you know, Marianne, to your point about that, certainly there's people out here listening to this right now that are saying, yeah, you all professors, you don't understand what the costs are going to be to our organization if we were to start paying our drivers by the mile. I certainly don't have a sense of what the dollars and cents would actually be. But one of the things I would suggest is if we could look at things with a totally burdened cost, like what are the costs of replacing X percent of your driver force every year and paying those $20,000 bonuses, drop-offs in service because you have new drivers that don't understand things. If you put all that in, would it be worth it to pay your drivers by the mile? You know, And so we bring in a lot of thoughts on, you just mentioned HR, we need to think about changing some of our accounting practices as well to kind of really look at a broader way of considering costs instead of just unit costs. Really fascinating stuff. I think that if you let Marianne and Tom and I go for a long enough time, we probably would figure out world peace and hunger and everything else, I think. But I don't think we have time for that on this podcast in particular. Marianne, before we let you go, you have any final comments you'd like to make? Oh, gosh. I think, you know, I think the big challenge, we've been talking a lot about inflation. We've been talking a lot about supply chains. I mean, the grand challenge for American kind of economic policy remains our labor supply problems. And I think the more we start talking about other stuff and distract from that problem, the more I think we sort of miss the point. It's not just an economic issue. It's a social issue. Having this many people out of work in the prime ages of productivity, it's bad for the economy, but it's also bad for our society. It's bad for children. So this is the problem. And so I'm looking forward to you guys resolving the supply chain stuff. Okay. So we can get back to talking about the thing that I really care about, which is are people working? And if not, why not? That's a great, great, great way to end this. I'll take us back to April of 2020, right at the early, early point of the COVID crisis. And we used to have weekly luncheon calls on Fridays with our Global Supply Chain Institute advisory board members to talk about how are you dealing with this? And all of our members in supply chain have people. They either have manufacturing, they have warehousing, they have transportation, they have people. And All of our conversations started with, we first have to keep our people safe and make them feel comfortable coming into work. And then we let them have a free hand to innovate around processes that we've never thought about before. And it amazed me every week to think that the companies that were doing the best in the early days of COVID were the ones who had employees who were empowered and engaged and doing incredible things. And I think. The more removed we get from the operational floor, the more we tend to forget that it really is at the end of the day all about people. We have a tendency of looking at consumption, even spending, right? And then we're like, oh my gosh, look, you know, people are consuming as much as they were before, and therefore we're as well off as we were before, right? And that's just a really narrow view of thinking about what it means to kind of live a full life. Production and having a job that means something to you is really critical. And I think when we miss that point, we've missed a big part of, you know, a big part of economic policy. Well, maybe an unintended consequences will come out of this more focused on our people than we were before. huh? All right, Marianne, thank you so much for joining us. We always enjoy having you with us. You bring great insights. I am certain that you will be back with us again. Thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me. Well, Marianne, it's been great having the worldview of a labor economist. So you heard it here applied to supply chain management and the world of moving stuff around. And uh, hey, we're going to keep moving. We expect you to do the same, and we do want to hear from you as well. I'm just going to throw out the email address where you can submit questions and comments regarding the podcast. 
uh, to gsci at utk.edu. Again, that's gsci at utk.edu for the Global Supply Chain Institute here at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And again, uh, we're just getting started with these podcasts. We hope that you're enjoying them. Uh, We hope that you're sharing them and telling others about them. We look forward to growing the legion of listeners, but also we're going to be bringing in more guests like Marianne to the show in the future. So, Tad, you got any sort of previews for what listeners can expect moving forward? I think that what we'll do is keep our noses to the grindstone and our ears open, and we'll report on the current topics the next time we uh, we record in the next few weeks and talk about what's going on and what we're seeing as fixes. We will also pay a lot of attention to that mailbag. So if you have questions, comments, things you'd like to hear us talk about, please send those in. And as a reminder, with the holiday season coming up and a potential for long lead times in buying products, something that is instantaneously available is making your loved ones participants and followers of the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast that you can find at any of your local podcast providers. It's in every stock. Thanks for listening to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe via your favorite listening platform such as iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Leave a reply in our show notes at gsci.podcast.com or email your questions to gsci at utk.edu. Join us next time in our pursuit to prove that supply chain management is more fun than you'd think. 